I was alerted to one more piece of news that I need to share with you, and that is the men's breakfast is not next week. It is not this upcoming Saturday. It's a Saturday after. So guys, I would love to have you plan on joining us. But again, men's breakfast will not be March 2nd. It will be March 9th. So just fix those in your calendars or wives, if you can fix those in their calendars for them, that would be fantastic. So last week, we uh, continued our series uh, through the letter of 2 Peter. And just to remind you, 2 Peter is a, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter with his demise in view. He knew that this was going to likely be his last and final opportunity to give a letter of encouragement and exhortation to a group of Christians struggling within a kooky culture. Within their culture, there was corruption in politics, there was immorality in their community, and there was division within their church, and there was fear within the hearts of believers, and as a result, things seemed more fragmented and hopeless than ever before, and it's to those people that the Apostle Peter wrote a note. Chapter 1 was filled with encouragement that they would be, have confidence in who Jesus is and what he is doing in their lives that they would have confidence in his work, that he has declared them justified, that he has reunited them with God. But he also wanted them to have confidence that Jesus was still at work in their lives, carving out areas of sin and filling them with more and more of the characteristics of Jesus. And want them not only have confidence in the work of salvation in their life, but confidence in the word of God to lead them and guide them. That was chapter one. Last week we began chapter two where the Apostle Peter began with a big biblical but saying, just even though Peter wants you to be confident in what God is doing, he wants you to be aware of something Satan's doing. In the midst of all of this work that God is doing in our lives, in our heart, in our churches, Satan is planting false teachers. He is planting what Jesus called tares, things that maybe look the same, but they're intended to cause division and destruction within the kingdom of God. Last week, Peter wanted to make sure we understood the reality of false teachers, but also the reality of God's activity, that false teachers aren't there for us to go after. We are not intended to go and fight the false teachers. We are intended to proclaim the truth of God. But if you're like me, last week, you might have ended with a question, well, how do we know then? How do we know if they're false teachers? Peter gave us the first clue. He says their theology is kooky. They're going to deny who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus desires to do. First is their theology will be kooky, but then he goes into two more characteristics. If you want to know the person who is influencing your spiritual life, whether they are a tear or a leader of Christ, Peter said, you want to look not just at their theology, but at two other characteristics, and he shares those in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 10. If you have your Bible, two characteristics that Peter gives us to help us discern. Is a person influencing our spiritual life? Are they someone planted by Satan, or are they someone empowered by God? First thing Peter says is, you want to watch your theology, but second, look at verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He says this, especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. 
Let's go to the last one first. He says, to, they despise authority. That phrase, it means these guys hate it when others have dominion over them. These guys lose their minds when there is someone who is in authority over them. These guys seem to disrespect those who have power in areas that they don't. The first thing Peter says, you want to know someone, this person of influence over your life, are they planted by Satan? A good clue might be their arrogance. Not just their theology, first point, their arrogance. And then Peter goes in and describes a little bit more of what that looks like. Look, he continues in verse 10. He says, they're daring, they're self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. It says their arrogance, and the first thing it's seen is in their pride. That term daring, it means they're brazen, they're audacious, they're reckless. They're so proud, they dare you to speak against them. They dare you to attack them. I dare you to criticize me. That's what those false leaders would say. Man, they are daring. I dare you. Who are you to come and speak truth into my life? Who are you to come and challenge what I see? Who are you? I dare you. I dare anyone. Come on, come and attack me. He goes on. He says, not only are they daring, but they're self-willed. They're stubborn, self-focused. They believe they ought to be able to do what they want when they want. They have this belief that they see everything right, that their way is always the right way. Even if other Christian leaders and other believers have a different point of view, these false leaders always believe they're right. And they should be able to do what they want when they want to. Man, Peter says, you want to know if the person who's influencing your spiritual life is a false teacher, someone planted by Satan or empowered by God? Last week, he said, look at their theology. But second, you need to look at their arrogance. Look at their arrogance and see if they're just filled with this pride. By the way, pride is is like a foundational sin. That's what led to Lucifer's downfall. And look how he goes on. Look how proud they are. He says, they do not tremble when they revile angelic ministries. The term revile means they make light of, they make jokes about, they ridicule, they denigrate, they demean. When he's talking about angelic majesties, most believe he's talking about demonic forces. Man, these guys are so arrogant, they have no concern about the spiritual battle. Man, I don't care what Satan's doing. Man, I have, I have this position, I'm so confident and proud in my life, I even dare the demons to come after me. You got nothing on me. And Peter says, you want to know how arrogant that is? Look at what he says in verse 11. Whereas angels, these are good angels who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. You want to know how arrogant that is? Man, even the good angels don't go and fight demons on their own. They use the authority of God. Look at what Jude 8 and 9, and we referenced that last week. Jude is is another brother of Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, yet in the same way, These men, talking about false teachers, also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. There it is again. Look at this. But Michael the archangel, 
right? This is one of the big guys. Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, if you want to talk about that, come and ask Pastor Jeff next week. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, it's a perfect place. Evidently, there is a battle over the over body of Moses. And look what he says. Even when Michael was disputing with the devil, he did not dare pronounce against him a rallying judgment and said, the Lord rebuke you. Man, even Michael the archangel is like, hey, 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 this isn't my fight. This is God's fight. I got nothing against you. Like I have no ability to fight against you on my own. Even Michael the archangel. Man, Peter's like, you want to know if these people who have influence over you are planted by Satan or empowered by God? Look at their theology. That was last week. Now he says, look at their arrogance. Look at their pride. Do they see themselves in this powerful position to where they claim to see everything right? Where they have ultimate power and authority to where if someone's different from them, then they're wrong. They don't listen to wisdom. They don't have anyone else speaking into their life. First says, you want to know if they're arrogant, look at their pride. But he keeps going. Look at what he says next. Verse 12, but these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Second thing you need to look at, not just their pride, but their ignorance. He says, they revile where they have no knowledge. A term revile, they're making jokes, they're ridiculing things, they have no idea what they're talking about. Peter says, these guys have all sorts of accusations against everyone and they're full of hot air. They're completely ignorant. They have no idea what's going on. They claim to have knowledge. They behave as if they have insight. But Peter says, all they are is ignorant. And then he likens them to animals. Now, I want to hit pause for a minute, because every time I talk about animals, people end up writing me notes. <laughs> so before Peter starts picketing, I want to go on record. I am a supporter of animals. My wife has a house full of them. As evidence, here's some pictures. Wow. Yeah, right? You think Gretchen has four boys. She does, but these are her babies. All right? This is Fred to the right. That's Kevin to the left. This is Fred, the same dog. That's Ivy to the left. And then this is uh, Bob, the epileptic chihuahua. Those of you who have been here for a while, you remember him. He has since crossed over the Rainbow Bridge. Um, but he was uh, quite, quite the hoot. So, so before I go on, I want to go on record. My wife loves animals and I support her in it. But look what Peter says. Peter's describing these false believers, says, listen, these false leaders, they not only have bad theology, but they're arrogant. They're filled with pride and they're filled with ignorance. And look, he says, they're like unreasoning animals. They're unreasoning. They aren't thinking. They aren't behaving the way people are. They're behaving on instinct. 
just instincts and all they are is part of a food chain. Look, little fish, they swim faster than big fish for one purpose, to not be eaten by big fish. Big fish swim away, usually by hooks, but when something dangles in front of them, they do it and they end up in Pastor Brian's fish sticks. (laughs) Pigs, great example. Good for one thing. Want to know what it is? Bacon. That's pretty much all they contribute to life. Right? Peter says, listen, these guys, they are just behaving instinctually. They're not thinking. They're not looking rationally. They're behaving like animals who just function out of instinct. They're just part of the food chain. And they're going to end up being consumed by someone bigger than them, God, at the end. Look, these guys behave as if they're proud and they behave as if they know everything that's going on, that they have special knowledge and special influence that you need to follow, you need to be a part of. And God says, listen, and Peter says, listen, you got to know these guys are just proud. They're arrogant and they're ignorant. There's one last part of their pride. Look at this. Look at their arrogance. Second part of verse 13 says they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes reviling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. It says first they are proud, they have pride, they have ignorance, and then they have shamelessness. Man, they're shamelessness. They will sin right in the middle of nowhere. Man, most people try to hide their sin, not these guys. They're just going to go ahead and be proud in front of you. They'll gossip right in front of you. They'll practice all sorts of immorality in the daytime. They are shameless. They don't care. Who are you to speak against them? And look how he describes them. See, again, we're reading this as if it's a textbook. Man, Peter is on fire here. He is angry. I truly believe as he's writing this, there's smoke coming from the page. I mean, he is on fire. They counted a pleasure. The term pleasure, by the way, is from the Greek word hedone. It's where we get our word hedonism from. He says, these false leaders are hedonists. They find sinning in front of you pleasurable. They find extra enjoyment in flaunting their power over you. He says, look at this. They counted a pleasure. They're getting their jollies, reveling in the daytime. They're stains, blemishes. That's the word for scabs. Reveling in their deceptions. Man, they love it that they can deceive you. Man, they love it in their pride, their arrogance, their ignorance. And they love the fact that they can turn you and twist you any way they want to. And they find that pleasurable for themselves. Like they just love twisting the knife and stirring you up. Again, Peter's writing these things for you, not so you can go and just start picketing their ministries and their voice boxes. He's telling you this, like, I want you to recognize them so you can stay away. Those of you who are grandparents, protect your children and your grandchildren. Those of you who are church leaders, continue to protect the body of Christ. Don't allow these tares, people planted by Satan, who not only have bad theology, but they're so filled with pride, they won't even open their eyes to the possibility that they may be wrong. And they're so deceived, they're so broken. 
that they actually find joy in stirring you up and leading you astray. It's like, listen, I want you to have confidence in the work of Christ in your life. I want you to have confidence in the word of God who is at work and guiding you in your day-to-day life. But you need to be aware, you need to know that even though God is at work in you, Satan's at work in them. And he's planted them on purpose to lead you astray, to infiltrate the kingdom of God, and to completely drag it down. That is their goal. And Peter says, be aware. And here's how you find them. Number one, look at their theology about Christ. Number two, look at their arrogance. Do they struggle with authority? Do they struggle to submit, not just to to places that God says they should submit to, but to people in their own lives? Do they claim to have special knowledge? Do they feel, do you feel like they're just love to stir things up? Now remember, Jesus said, I can't trust you in declaring who's a false teacher and who's not. That's why I don't want you ripping things up, right? That's why I don't want you going and fighting the false teachers. But what Peter is saying, I want you to be aware, if their theology is bad and they come across as arrogant, full of pride, maybe run. There's another thing Peter says, though. Look back at verse 10. It says, not only are they people who despise authority, not only are they just daring and self-willed and full of pride and ignorance and shameless in their life, but look at verse 10 again, the very beginning. He says, and especially those who indulge the flesh. Number one, look at their theology. Number two, look and see if they're arrogant. Number three, look at their indulgence. That term indulge means they hunger for the things of the flesh. They look and hunt for immorality and travel where they need to in order to feed their hunger for power, lust, and greed. Man, these guys, they're indulgent. Look at the first thing he says. Number one, they're ravenous. Let's go back to verse 14 now. Look at how he describes them. Peter says, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. Right now, Peter could have easily just started dropping names. Peter could have easily said, hey, listen, here's what I'm talking about. Government so-and-so, pastor whatchamacallit, author what's-her-name. He didn't do that. He says, I'm just going to give you these characteristics. You figure it out for yourself. This is someone who has eyes full of adultery. Here's the frightening description of that. Describe someone who is dominated by adultery and constantly seeking for opportunities for it. These guys never grow tired of looking with lustful eyes. They have completely lost control. Look who they go after. Eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Man, they are just unrelenting. They're ravenous in their appetite. And look who they focus on. Enticing unstable souls. Unstable souls. Describe someone who is weak, unsettled, and vulnerable. Man, you want to know if a person has spiritual influence over you? is planted by Satan. Can you trust your wives with them? 
your kids with them, your sons with them. Man, these are people, and, and this is, I know, touching a nerve in our culture. I was looking at something recently online talking about the, the most respected uh, leaders of culture. You know where pastors are in that list? Number eight, beneath lawyers, no offense, and accountants. Like IRS people rated higher in terms of people you can trust. Man, do we have a problem? Peter's like, listen, you guys got to wake up. Satan is at work. I want you to have confidence in what God's doing in your life, but you need to be aware. Satan has planted false teachers. Their theology is wacky. They're arrogant and proud, and they don't think they should submit to anyone. And then their eyes are full of adultery, man. They are just searching day and night for opportunities to undermine and take advantage of the marginalized, the weak, and the vulnerable. Man, they claim to know what's right, but they live like hell. First thing you need to know, man, they are ravenous in their appetite for adultery. They're enticing unstable souls, having, and look at this next one. They have a heart trained, this is the end of verse 14. They having a heart trained in greed. Not only are they ap- they're ravenous for, in their lust, but they are greedy. That term trained, it's from the Greek word gymnasia, uh, gymnasio. It's where we get our English word gymnasium. Man, these guys are trained. They work this out. Not only are they educated for this, but they practice it every day. Man, they are gifted with the practices of how to spin you around and get what they need out of you for their personal benefit. That's how Paul describes it, or Peter. Man, they are trained. They, they are not only taught this, but they exercise in this to be able to build their kingdom and build their wealth and build their power and build their influence. And listen, I might be getting a little preachy on this, but here's my concern for Christian leadership in our day. See, as I interact with younger pastors, I feel like the focus is how do I get a bigger and bigger church? How do I get on the speaking circuit? How do I get on the Christian author list? There seems to be a decreased contentment with just shepherding a sheep, a flock of God for a long period of time. There's this, and we're almost trained for it in seminary. You go here, you build a work where a bigger church recognizes you that's closer to a coast. Anyone else recognize that? That God seems to call pastors from one place to another place that's always bigger with a higher salary closer to the beach. That's incredible. (laughs) Peter says, listen, people are trained in this. They focus on this, focus on building their kingdom. Man, guys, we need to make sure that we're following spiritual influencers who reflect the characteristics of Christ, right? Didn't Paul say, have this attitude in yourself that also exists in Christ Jesus? who didn't see heaven as something to be held on to, but put it aside and took on the form of his own creation. And not so he could rule over them with authority, but so that he could die on their behalf 
Not just any death, but death on the cross, the most horrific form of death known to man at that time. He was humiliated, beaten, lied and gossiped about. He was rejected more than he was accepted in confidence that God was going to do a work. Man, those are the leaders that we should be getting behind. Peter says, there's these, you want to know a false teacher, look at their theology. You look at their pride and their arrogance. You look at their indulgence. Man, do you just have this feeling I can't trust my kids with them? Might be a warning sign. So another stat I found that almost 19, an average of 1,900 pastors a year leave the ministry most often because of moral failure. Because I think your standards for who influences your life needs to be raised. They're indulgent. Their eyes are full, man. They're ravenous in lust. They're trained in greed, looking for ways to just raise their own ministry and benefit financially on themselves. Paul warned us about that. He wrote a note to Timothy, his young protege. Look what he said. First Timothy 6, he said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Look at this, for the love of money. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't say for money. That doesn't mean that if you're rich, you are somehow focused on hell. It's saying for the love of it, for this desire for it, for this hunger for it. Man, this, if that's the basis of your life, it's the root of all sorts of evil. Look at what he says next. It says, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Peter's like, listen, I want you to be confident in the work of Christ, but I also want you to be aware of the work of Satan. Man, he is devious. He is insidious. He is planting these guys, these individuals, to lead you astray and drag you down a path of judgment. You can tell by their bad theology. You can tell by their arrogance. You can tell by their indulgent lifestyle. There's one last thing you need to know about them. Not only are they greedy, not only are they ravenous, they're lost. Look what he says, verse 15. He says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. A term forsaken means to deliberately leave something, to intentionally turn away, to reject something that is offered and known. Gone astray, they've wandered off path. They're roaming random places. These guys are lost. They have lost their way and they are lost in life. You look at their life and you think, well, that doesn't make sense. They have a huge following of people. They've written great books. They say some of the best stuff. Pierce says, be mindful. Be aware. You need to be looking at people's theology. Listening 
for their arrogance, watching for their indulgence, watching their life. Uses a great example. We'll finish with this. He says, you want to know, he gives a great example of a false teacher. Again, I love this. Uh, he, he could have just given someone on his, uh, in their culture, right? Look at this dude. Look at this person. Look at this lady. Look at this government official. Look at the, he could have done that. Instead, he says, I want to tell you about an Old Testament prophet. Famous story in their day. One of my favorite and mine. I remember when Andrew came up and said, he, I know everything about the Bible. I, I, I'm fully aware of what's going on. I'm like, oh, so you know the story about the talking donkey. What? No? Oh, hey, there's great stories in here. Look at what he says back at verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Forsaken the right way, they have gone astray. Look at this. He says, followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression for a mute donkey, speaking with a voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Great Great story. Here's the guy who claims to have unspoken ability and can see things no one else can, yet a donkey educated him. You remember the story in the, because of time, I'm just going to tell you, go back and read Numbers chapter 22 through 24. If you're not familiar with the story, let me summarize it. It's a time where the people of God were heading towards the promised land. And they were consuming everything in their path. If anyone stood in their way, God just delivered them in miraculous ways. So the king of Moab, his name was Balak, started to see this people group heading his way. So he decided to call a prophet of renowned power named Balaam. And they traveled a long distance to visit Balaam and asked him, Balaam, we have this huge people coming to us and they're consuming everything in their path, so we want you to curse them. And we know what you curse, they'll be cursed. And what you bless, they'll be blessed. So Balaam, will you curse these people for us and save our land? Balaam, to his credit, says, oh, I don't know, let me ask God. So Balaam goes and asks God, hey God, can I curse these people? God's very clear, nope. No, you can't. Number one, they're my people. If you curse them, you're cursing my people. But God's also very clear. If you curse them, you're not only cursing my people, but you're putting yourself in direct opposition to me. So Balaam, to his credit, goes back to Balak and says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do it. God says, I can't. Balak says, oh, that's too bad. I was going to give you a ton of money. Balaam says, oh, well, let me go back. Oh, I didn't know you were going to give me a lot of money. All right, let me go back and ask God again. Hey, God, you sure? You sure I can't curse these people? But he's going to give me a lot of money. You sure that I can't curse them? And you sure I'm going to put myself in opposition to you? And then God does this thing. God says, okay, go ahead and go. And we think of those like, what? That's it? God changes the mind like that. God says, sure, go ahead and go. Hop on your donkey and start riding all the way over to Moab. So Balaam does. Hops on his donkey, starts riding down. The story goes that God puts the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ himself, in the path of the donkey. Donkey sees the angel. Balaam doesn't. 
donkey tries to go aside. Balaam gets all mad, jerks him back. Angel moves into the path again. Donkey tries to move. Balaam gets all mad, tries to jerk him back. Finally, the donkey tries to get aside and brushes Balaam against this wall. And Balaam's had it. He gets off his donkey, starts beating the donkey. Donkey talks. Look what donkey says. (laughs) Donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do something like this? Here's the craziest thing. He answers. <laughs> right? Balaam turns is like, or the, the donkey, let's name him Peter, turns and this is why I think Peter loves the story. Peter turns, he says, what? Have I ever, you, you've, you've been riding me all this time. I've always taken care of you. Now you don't trust me because I'm not doing what you want to? Do you get the message of God? And I love the fact that God uses a donkey. Here's Balaam. He's claiming special knowledge. He's claiming to know things about God that no one else can. What he blesses, stay blessed. What he curses, stays cursed. That's probably on his business card. But yet a dumb donkey sees things that a prophet of God doesn't. Well, Balaam has this come to Jesus moment and recognizes the message. Gets over to Balak, the king of Moab, sets up all these altars and they have their barbecue and he says, okay, Balaam, curse the people. You got to read the story. Balaam gives his great blessing of people instead. And Balaam's like, what? That's the direct opposite of what he asked you to do. And Balaam's like, well, I have to say what God tells me to say. So they go to a different place, build more altars, have more barbecues. He goes, okay, Balaam, curse him. Balaam blesses him again. And Balak at this point is losing his mind. He goes, okay, Balaam, one last chance. So they put up, they build all these altars, have one more barbecue, and say, Balaam, curse him. And Balaam blesses him again. And at that point, the Bible says that they bound his hands and sent him back in disgrace. No money. Back home. Shortly after that experience, we see the people of God under judgment because they're sinning in adultery with the Moabite women practicing worship of false gods, which included things that you wouldn't want your mom to know about. And we're wondering, like, what happened? And we don't find out for like seven other chapters later. What happened? That's what Moses says. He says, Numbers 31, he says, behold, again, that term behold, surprise, this isn't something you're expecting. Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the manner of Baor. So the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. In other words, most people think that this is what Moses means is that you have this Balaam who wanted all this money. He couldn't curse him. So he rode the donkey all the way back. I kind of think it was a different donkey at this time. All the way back and he counseled, hey, I can't curse him, but I can tell you how to get him. Start having all the ladies worship outside. 
where the men can see them. You're going to entice them. You're going to lure them away. That term entice, by the way, it means to fish with bait, to chum the waters. Man, they were set up. What Peter says, you want to know what a false prophet looks like, what a false teacher looks like, someone who is planted by Satan to undermine your walk? Look at Balaam. He knew the right way. He communed with God. He knew what God wanted, but for the sake of money, went the other way and undermined this entire people group. Peter's message to his people back then and I believe to his friends still today. Be careful. I want you to be confident of all God is doing. Be careful. Man, God is doing great things in your life. He's given you his word to lead you and guide you, but be careful. Satan's at work. He has planted these tares to undermine your walk, to consume your soul, to erode your home, to divide your churches. Man, he is ravenous. Be aware. Man, this week I was preparing a message. You know, it was in my heart. Number one, man, God protect me from being someone like that. And number two, protect us from following someone like that. How do we do it? Man, I'm reading this, I'm studying this, and don't worry, there's a whole nother section next week where Peter just does some more. But what hope do we have? What direction does God have for you and I in the midst of this battle? The book of Hebrews, there's a section where the Bible describes people who are walking away from the Lord and all the judgment that's going to come as a result. And then it says this, starts with one of my favorite words, big biblical but. But, that's not the same for you. He says, but, beloved, oh, my dear friends, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Hey, be aware of all this stuff, and I know people are following them, but hey, we're not worried about you. And things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust as to forget your work, the love which you have shown towards his name, and having ministered and still ministering to the saints, he continued and said this. It says, and we desire each one of you, here we go, show the same diligence so as to realize the, sure for, uh, the full assurance of hope until the end. So you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews says, man, I'm not worried about you. Here's the thing. Just be diligent and focused on your walk with Jesus. Man, trust his word. The work of Christ in your life, be diligent. Don't be sluggish. Don't get lazy. You might think everything's fine. Then boom, you're off course. Don't be sluggish. Don't be lazy. Be diligent with the work. And number two, follow the paths of the righteous who went before you. Man, the men and women who finished well. Do you have one in mind? You know, I love that we're a multi-generational congregation because this church is filled with men and women who have been faithful through the kookiest times of history 
to now. I think as culture, we like to put them aside because they're old-fashioned, but maybe, maybe they have something to offer. Maybe they have sources of wisdom for your life, protection for your soul, someone who can walk with you in the midst of the hardship, who has recognized false teachers before and can recognize them again. That's why I love that we have an elder board. One person in your life that you're confident you can follow, whose theology is good, whose character is not one of pride and arrogance, who isn't seeking to make their life better but to just serve Jesus. Do you have one? If you don't, find one. Man, for me, it's always been my grandpa. It's always been my grandpa who has modeled, not perfectly, but faithfully. One person, other than Jesus, we can all follow Jesus, other than Jesus, one person has modeled it for you. They can follow their path and allow them to speak into your life. Peter says it's worth finding because Satan's planted these tares intentionally to drag you down. Don't be lazy. One person that you'll allow to speak into your life. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we are grateful for your word. And not only gives us comfort and hope But God, it also gives us empowerment and direction. And God, it even gives us warnings. God, through your word, you have clearly brought to our hearts and our minds warnings of not just what you're doing, but what Satan's doing. So God, open our eyes. Allow us to see things as Peter did. Help us to get past the crowds and the noise. Help us to get to the heart and the mind of leaders. God, we do, we pray, God, protect our families. Protect our marriages, protect our hearts and our minds. Protect our souls. And God, for your leaders around the world, God, may you give them strength, endurance, boldness, courage. May you give them protection. We God, we also pray you give them humility, contentment, submission. God, that they would be men and women who not only can inspire and instruct us, God, they may reflect who you are to us. We ask God, now you go before us. Give us confidence as we move forward this week. And even those times where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, help us to fear no evil because you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. God, even when we're surrounded by our enemies, you, 
You just set a table before us. You've anointed our head with oil. Our cup has overflowed. And God, we're confident that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life that we follow you. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.